Hello and welcome to another episode of Skyline Casey Coffee Chat. I'm your host, Andrew, and we are going to be exploring the rich and fascinating history of coffee, which only makes sense because this is indeed a coffee podcast. I don't know about you, but when I really think about coffee, it is really fascinating to me that this bean, which essentially legend has it discovered by a goat herder, stumbled upon it accidentally because of this accidental finding as we'll see in in the story and in the history, that became this global phenomenon. And culture, history itself, has been changed because of coffee. And just to think of that such a simple seed that gives you an energy boost, or at least the sensation of that anyway, has altered the course of history. It's very fascinating to me. And I think that this would be kind of an interesting glimpse into that history both the political and historical side of it, because coffee has a rich history in both. And like any commodity that's valued highly cultural, there's oftentimes it will have an effect in a war, it'll have an effect with, we'll see in colonialism, and the overall effect that has just internationally, even today. But before we dive in, let's do a quick overview of what exactly coffee is. This might seem a little, well, I know what it is, but just to just to set the stage clear, just make sure we're all on the same page. Coffee is a brewed beverage made from the roasted seeds of the coffea plant. There are actually two main species of coffee, Arabica and Robusta coffee, that are used today in productions. The bush, or tree, is native to tropical regions of Africa. The coffea plant produces small red berries, which contain seeds, that are roasted, ground, and brewed to create coffee. The history of coffee is long and complex and steeped in some tall tales and almost mythology. It goes back to ancient civilizations in Africa, Arabia, and the Middle East. The first recorded use of coffee dates back to the 9th century in Ethiopia, where legend has it that a gert herder named Kaldi discovered the energizing effects of coffee after noticing that his goats became more lively and alert after eating the coffee cherries. He was so taken aback by this that he went to alert the abbot of his local monastery. The abbot proceeded to make a drink with the berries, and then he was able to stay awake through long hours of prayer. With that, the caffeine-induced all-nighter was born. From Ethiopia, through the silk trade and through other trade routes, coffee spread to the Arabian Peninsula, where it's cultivated and traded by Yemeni Sufi monasteries. It was in Arabia that coffee became a popular beverage, with the, with the first coffee houses appearing in the 15th century. These coffee houses, or kave khana, became places for people to socialize, exchange ideas, play games. People would sing, play instruments, and even play chess. Coffee houses became such a hub for the spread of information that they even became dubbed as schools of wise. I really wish that this would become ascribed to our own coffee houses these days, and Honestly, I would love to bring that culture back. After this, coffee spread beyond the Middle East and into Europe, where it is initially met with resistance. Surprising. Shocker. I know. Many European countries were suspicious of the new beverage, and even some called it the bitter invention of Satan, because of how dark it is and black and bitter and evil, apparently. So much so that the clergy of Venice condemned it in 1615. And the debate sparked so much that the Pope got involved. Pope Clement VIII intervened. He decided to taste the beverage himself, and actually he loved it so much that he gave it his blessing. 
Due to this fact, and that coffee slaps in general, and coffee eventually won over Europe. And, by the 18th century, it had become a popular beverage in cities like Paris, London, and Vienna. In the 19th and 20th centuries, coffee continued to spread around the world, with countries like Brazil, Colombia, Vietnam becoming major producers of coffee beans. Today, coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world, with billions of cups being consumed every single day. And actually, what's really interesting is kind of the complex history tied in with, with colonialism and coffee. So let's explore some of what happened with the more modern planting of coffee plantations, dealing with the Colombian exchange, and also later on colonialism as well. So in the New World, or became North America, became the New World, and even in the 1600s, coffee was brought to New Amsterdam, which was named New York by the British. Coffee houses rapidly began to appear. Tea continued to be the favorite drink with the British-populated New World. This was until 1773, when the colonists revolted against the heavy tax imposed by the King George III, and we all know this very well, the Boston Tea Party, and that forever changed the American preference to drinking coffee. And Thomas Jefferson is quoted with, Coffee, the favorite drink of the civilized world. And then around the world, demand for it began to spread. There was actually lots of competition to compete outside of Arabia. The Dutch, which had lots of settlements all over the world, acquired seedlings by the 17th century. The Dutch attempted to plant coffee trees in India. Unfortunately, their initial attempts failed, but they were successful in Batavia, on the island of Java, what is now called Indonesia. And you might notice the term Java is also referred to as coffee. The plants thrived there, and the Dutch had a very productive growing trade route. They expanded the cultivation of the coffees to the islands of Sumatra and the Celebes. In 1714, the mayor of Amsterdam presented a gift of young coffee to King Louis XIV of France. Now, Louis XIV ordered that be planted in the Royal Botanical Gardens of Paris. And in 1723, a naval officer named Gabriel Duclier obtained a seedling from the king's plant. And it was a challenging voyage after that. There was horrendous weather, a saboteur who tried to destroy the plant, and also a pirate attack. Things straight out of a novel. Thankfully, he managed to transport it safely to Martinique. Martinique. Once the tree is planted, it not only thrived, but in fact, it's credited to have the spread over 18 million coffee trees on the island of Martinique through the next 50 years. The more incredible fact is that it was the parent of all the coffee trees throughout the Caribbean, South and Central America. In fact, the famed Brazilian coffee owes its existence to Francisco de Mello Pajeta, who was sent by Emperor to French Guiana to get coffee seedlings. But the French were not willing to share. However, the French governor's wife was really captivated by his good looks and was like, of course, why not? Gave him a large bouquet of flowers before he left, and buried deep inside was enough coffee seeds to begin what is today a billion-dollar industry. Imagine the fact that someone you think is super handsome, and you're like, ah, you know, I'll slip you some coffee seeds to, to set you up on an empire. No big deal. After this, missionaries, travelers, traders, colonists, they continued to carry coffee seeds to new lands, and they were planted worldwide. Plantations were established in magnificent tropical forests, rugged mountain highlands. Some crops flourished, 
while others were short-lived. New nations were established on coffee economies, fortunes were both made and lost, and by the end of the 18th century, coffee had become one of the world's most profitable export. And after crude oil, it is the most sought commodity in the world. Which to me, that is, a, is it makes sense, but also something you don't realize. And how volatile coffee is versus oil, the market you know varies, probably not as greatly as oil, but still varies, and, and treaties have been made, wars have been done. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about how coffee has had such a rich history. And I also think it's important to revisit the origins of the coffee. And in fact, my favorite coffee origins are actually Ethiopian coffees. I really enjoy Ethiopian coffees. They have a lot of, of, kind of citrus and, and, and lighter, more acidic tones, and are generally really yummy when you roast them at a light roast. And also, I, I would love to do some more exploration in the whole Arabian, Middle Eastern coffee culture and how it is still very much an important thing to show hospitality and community in offering coffee to strangers. And eventually, if you offer people enough coffee, they become your friend, you're invited into the family, you're invited into the community, and it's through that gateway. It is often through coffee or tea. A lot of times it is coffee that this invitation, the ability to get comfortable, to relax, to stimulate the mind, to have then have stimulating conversations, I think has been carried throughout the, the generations. Unfortunately, through the modernization of coffee, although there's been really brilliant advances in, in you know the whole career of a barista, the science behind being a barista, you know the amount of espresso drinks that exist. But I think the fast-pacedness of coffee houses, especially in the American sense, has detracted from the importance of sitting down for a while, relaxing, listening to music, listening to live performances. No, don't get me wrong that these do exist, but I definitely think that should be more of a mainstay in our coffee houses. And the shift, I think, is happening, especially in Kansas City. There are a lot of opportunities for artists, both young roasters and also, you know, young artists who are photographers, musicians, what have you, to have this opportunity to have this conversation, even advertise their work. That's often the thing you'll see is that you'll have a, a featured artist of the month or a week in these coffee shops to get them get them a name, to get, you know, word of mouth. Because honestly, word of mouth is one of the most popular ways of, of marketing and advertisement. And if you build a culture around this, this culture of exchange of ideas, you're ultimately going to see an increase in, in the desirability of, of, of one's goods. And now I think taking this history is, is very important to, to teaching people about it, to teach that you know coffee isn't just this magic thing that appears that makes you more conscientious when you're, when you're choosing what you're drinking. You might want to ask, okay, where is this from? Is it from Ethiopia? Is it from Brazil? Is it from Colombia? Is it from Rwanda? There are lots of countries in Africa who produce coffee and, you know, looking into how that coffee is handled in, in that particular country's economy, industry, is important because sometimes you might not be so glad to know that, that you know, there might be some forced labor involved, not necessarily, you know, borderline slavery, but still hard, hard labor, hard work. That's why it's important to to look for fair trade, to make sure that the farmers are compensated fairly for their crop and that the workers are also compensated f also f fairly. Because ultimately, coffee, not only is it a beverage, it is a commodity, it is culture-changing, it is 
it is a bean, it is a seed, it is an import. And in fact, in the United States, the only place we do grow coffee is in Hawaii. And uh, Hawaiian coffee uh, usually is grown traditionally up on the volcanoes. Is is very expensive just because it has been so regarded as, as one of the best coffees ever. Some of the other really interesting coffees that I've come across is that there is a coffee that actually is eaten after monkeys have digested the coffee cherries and then they have defecated the coffee seeds and then people will go and get the coffee seeds from, from the feces of the monkeys and then, of course, they clean them, they process them. But the belief is that the digestive tract of the monkey makes the coffee beans even more better, sweeter, I'm not sure. And then they roast them and they sell these beans. Um, I saw once that these beans could go for like $500 a pound or something. They're, they're considered a delicacy. I don't know if I would try it, but I guess I would never say never. And if the opportunity arose and I was able to, I think maybe. But again, I'm still like, I don't know if I'd really want to drink monkey poop coffee, honestly. But uh, that just shows you just how diverse and eclectic coffee is. And I, w I would definitely encourage you to to look more into coffee history, especially if you're getting into craft coffees, into coffees that you know I roast. Particularly, I like to look at where I get my coffees from. I get a lot of coffee from Brazil, Ethiopia, and I, I make sure that the specific kind of history, I really like diving into the history of where the coffee crop comes from, and especially that it's impacting local small business owners who oftentimes work together in a co-op, who then get them to market, who then export them, and, and make a living that way. So I encourage you to do some research on the coffee that you enjoy, or if you're getting into coffee, to do some research and check that out. Thanks once again for joining an episode of Coffee Casey Chat, and I'm your host, Andrew. I look forward to another episode with you, and I actually am going to make the next episode about 10 times that coffee was banned throughout history. And this will be really fascinating because there have been lots of attempts to ban coffee. Not the only times I mentioned in this podcast, but we're going to dive further into the drink that once forbidden that became an international phenomenon.